Good morning, everyone. It's time for another edition of Transformation Radio. And now it's time for our reading here in the New Testament. 
And our scripture today comes from the book of Mark, chapter 15, verses 1 through 47. We're going to be reading about the unfolding drama of Jesus' mock trial and crucifixion. Now, why did the Jewish leaders send Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor? The Romans had taken away the Jews' right to inflict capital punishment. So, in order for Jesus to be condemned to death, he had to be sentenced by a Roman leader. The Jewish leaders wanted Jesus executed on a cross, a method of death that they believed brought a curse from God. They hoped to persuade the people that Jesus was cursed, not blessed by God. Well, the Jewish leaders had to fabricate new accusations against Jesus when they brought him before Pilate. The charge of blasphemy would mean nothing to the Roman governor. So they accused Jesus of three other crimes. Number one, encouraging the people to not pay their taxes to Rome. Uh, Number two, claiming he was a king, uh, the king of the Jews. And number three, causing riots all over the countryside. Uh, Tax evasion, treason, and terrorism, all these would be cause for Pilate's concern. Now, why didn't Jesus answer Pilate's questions? It would have been futile to answer, and the time had come to give his life to save the world. Jesus had no reason to try to prolong the trial or save himself. He was the ultimate example of self-assurance and peace, which no ordinary criminal could imitate. Nothing would stop him from completing the work he had come to earth to do. Now, Barabbas was arrested for his part in a rebellion against the Roman government, and although he had committed a murder, uh, he may have been a hero among the Jews. The fiercely independent Jews hated to be ruled by pagan Romans. They hated paying taxes to support the despised government and its gods. Most of the Roman authorities who uh, had to settle Jewish disputes hated the Jews in return. The time was ripe for rebellion. Now, crucifixion was the Roman penalty for rebellion. Only slaves or those who were not Roman citizens could be crucified. If Jesus died by crucifixion, he would die the death of a rebel and slave, not of the king he claimed to be. And this is just what the uh, Jewish religious leaders wanted and the reason they whipped the mob into a frenzy. In addition, crucifixion would put the responsibility for killing Jesus squarely on the shoulders of the Romans. He was given over to the uh, guards. The brutal guards, the uh, power-hungry governor, and the conniving religious leaders had the upper hand. But they did not know the true power and authority of this man they were torturing and had condemned to death. Worldly powers and philosophies that mocked Jesus' lordship will not be so arrogant when Jesus returns in judgment. When you feel that unjust people who've controlled and viewpoints hostile to Christianity are carrying the day, rest assured that Jesus holds the highest place and will return in glory. He's coming. He's coming soon. By the way, throwing dice, which is what the soldiers did for his clothes, was a way of making a decision by chance. The soldiers gambled to decide who would receive Jesus' clothing. Roman soldiers had uh, the right to take for themselves the clothing of those they crucified. And uh, this was part of prophecy foretold in ancient scripture. Now, Jesus could have saved himself, obviously. But he endured this suffering because of his love for us, for you and me. Very personal. He could have chosen not to take the pain and humiliation. He could have killed those who mocked him. But he suffered through it all because he loved even his enemies. We had a significant part in the drama that dark afternoon because our sins were on that cross too. 
Jesus died on that cross for us, for you and for me. And the penalty for our sins was paid by his death. The only adequate response we can make is to confess our sins and gratefully accept the fact that Jesus paid for them so we wouldn't have to. Don't insult God with indifference toward the greatest act of genuine, pure love in the history of the world. And now let's begin our reading today here in the New Testament. March 11th, the New Testament, Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 47. Very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council, met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, You have said it. Then the leading priests kept accusing him of many crimes, and Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, any one the people requested. One of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews? Pilate asked, for he realized by now that the leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point the leading priests stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, Then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him! Why? Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, Crucify him! So, to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters, called the Praetorium, and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe, and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. A passerby named Simon who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus, and they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. A sign was fastened to the cross announcing the charge against him. It read, The King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha! Look at you now! They yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. 
the leading priests and teachers of religious law, also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said. Let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, This man truly was the Son of God. Some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph, and Salome. They had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. This all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. As evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was an honored member of the high council, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called for the Roman officer and asked if he had died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead, so Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth. Then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. Psalm 54, verses 1 through 7. We'll read here today in Scripture that many of David's psalms follow the pattern found in these two verses, the uh, verses of 3 and 4 in uh, chapter 54, a transition from prayer to praise. David was not afraid to come to God and express his true feelings and needs. We shouldn't be either. He's a template for us in how we should approach God. Thus, his spirit was lifted, and he praised God, his helper, his protector, and his friend. Not because he was obligated to praise God. He did it as an actual expression of what was actually going on in his heart. Well, David asked God to repay evil to his enemies. He simply stated his confidence in God's promise. Well, Proverbs chapter 26, verse 27 warns that those who cause trouble will reap trouble. What we have intended for others may blow up in our own face. To be honest and straightforward before God and others is simpler, easier, and safer in the long run. Psalm 54, verses 1 through 7. For the choir director, a psalm of David, regarding the time the Ziphites came and said to Saul, We know where David is hiding, to be accompanied by stringed instruments. Come with great power, O God, and rescue me. Defend me with your might. Listen to my prayer, O God. Pay attention to my plea. For strangers are attacking me. Violent people 
are trying to kill me. They care nothing for God. Interlude. But God is my helper. The Lord keeps me alive. May the evil plans of my enemies be turned against them. Do as you promised, and put an end to them. I will sacrifice a voluntary offering to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For you have rescued me from my troubles, and helped me to triumph over my enemies. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. The godly are directed by honesty. The wicked fall beneath their load of sin. The godliness of good people rescues them. The ambition of treacherous people traps them.
if you see me cry It's just a sign that I I'm still alive I got some scars But I'm still alive In spite of calamity He still has a plan for me It's working for me Good morning, guys. This is Pastor Don, and this morning I wanted to share a devotional with you coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. And the passage of Scripture reads, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So, the Apostle Paul is the one who's who's talking here, and he's writing to uh, the Corinthian church, and he's basically talking about life and he's he's likening life to a race uh, you know in a race there's all kinds of people running it but only a handful of winners maybe sometimes there's only one winner and in our in in real life there are billions of people at any given moment living on this planet and they're dying they're being born dying being born but According to the Bible, the only ones who actually win the race of life are those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and who live their life for Him. And Paul is, is saying here that uh, since we are in this, this race of life and there is the chance that we could fall short and not win, that we need to make sure that we run this race in such a way so that we know we will win the prize. And Paul goes on to say that, you know, athletes who run races, uh, when they go to compete for a race, they don't just sit around and eat Twinkies and uh, Ho-Hos and, and drink Mountain Dews up to the time of race day. Uh, you know, that's we all know that, that that's ludicrous. Like if they were to do that, they would they would fail miserably. Uh, but on the contrary, Paul says that when an athlete knows he's going to run a race, he enters into strict training in order to do his best to make sure that he's going to win the race. And for us, I think how much more if we know that we are in the race of life and there's a chance that we might not win, how much more would we as Christians want to enter into strict training to ensure that we win the crown of righteousness that's laid up for us. And, you know, obviously this is something that really compelled Paul uh, to live in such a way uh, so that he would win the crown because in verse 26 and 27, uh, he says that, Therefore I do not run like a man running aimlessly. 
the therefore is there because uh, he's saying because of because you know life is like a race, and because uh, you know there is a possibility that I could obtain a crown that lasts forever, and because there's only going to be a handful of winners. Therefore, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make him my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So, Paul's saying that, you know, because there is a chance that I might not win the race, uh, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that I do. Uh, so that after I've spent my all my life trying to reach others, I don't end up being disqualified myself. So, to me, uh, I think that that is truly an incentive for all of us to enter into this strict training in order to win the the crown of righteousness that's laid up for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and. I think that the, some of the ways that we can do this, the way that we can enter into this strict training, um, you know, when I think of strict training for athletes, what comes to mind is discipline. Uh, they do all kinds of things that a lot of times they don't necessarily like to do, at least at first, uh, in order to get, the, get something that they do want. They want to win that prize. Uh, and, you know, when I think about the Christian life, I think there's lots of lots of, of of disciplines that sometimes we don't want to do, at least initially at first. But in doing those things, they will ensure that we will receive the crown of life that's laid up for us someday. And I think some of those things are uh, scripture reading, prayer, uh, fasting, uh, Christian service, being willing to go out and serve other people. Uh, those are just a few of them. And... You know, all of those things, uh, sometimes we love doing those things. But probably most of the time, at least initially, we're like, man, I don't want to read my Bible. Man, I don't want to, I don't want to pray or uh, I just don't feel like it today. Or, man, I definitely don't want to fast because I love food, you know. Uh, man, I don't want to go out there and tell them people about Jesus because they're going to think I'm an idiot and I don't want to be embarrassed, you know. So all of us generally... Uh, initially at first uh, have to discipline ourselves to do those things. But as we do those things, as we enter into that strict training, uh, we are developing habits in our life. We are giving God an opportunity to be able to uh, share his self with us so that we can grow in our maturity as a Christian and uh, so that we can ensure that um, we're not unfruitful and that we're going to win the race someday. So this morning I just want to challenge you guys. And, you know, I'm, I'm challenging myself even as I'm talking about this, that, you know, we're all in this race of life. And only those who have placed their faith in Christ and who are living for Him uh, are going to win the, the crown. Who are, they're going to win the race. So if we literally are in this race and there's a chance that we might not win the race, uh, what what manner of men should we be? What what type of strict training should we enter into to ensure that we do win the pray win win the race? So, just think about that this morning. Um, but I hope you guys have a great day. 
I hope this uh, was challenging. I hope it uh, blessed you. hope it encouraged you. And uh, I'll see you all soon. God bless. Bye-bye. This is David Durr. Um, want to give an affirmation to my boy Cam and everybody else down in uh, phase one at the farm. You guys are awesome. Also, Abe May, third phase. I love you, brother. Stay strong. Hi, this is Gabriel Roberts uh, from Detroit, Michigan, 22 years old. I'm actually today re-phasing up for the second time to second phase. I uh, had to step away from the ministry for about 11 days to heal up a leg injury. I um, went down to the farm this past week and um, really grew a lot with God. I uh, really dove in, really uh, learned a lot more about myself and my walk with God. I'm... Uh, truly blessed and highly favored that I got the chance to go down there this past week. I uh, just want to you know, give a little shout out real quick to the guys that are down there. Uh, keep your head up. It gets a lot easier the further along you get. God's got a plan for you just like he does for every single other person in this world. Love you guys and can't wait to see you. Life gets tough and times get hard And it's hard to find the truth In all the lies If you're tired of wondering why Your heart isn't healing And nothing feels like home Cause you're lost and alone Just screaming at the sky When you don't know what to say Just say
Just say Jesus. This concludes today's broadcast. I pray that everyone who tuned in today was blessed by what they heard, and I hope you all have a wonderful day.